0: Instead of paying $90 to $120 an hour for a professional interpreter, you can use Genie service for a dollar per minute. My name is Janice King. Welcome to Passioners Podcast, a podcast that tells stories of passionate people who inspire us, and hopefully you as well. If you enjoy listening to us, consider rating and commenting on Apple Podcasts. When you do, let us know who you are so we can thank you. In each episode, we'd like to convey our appreciation to our biggest supporters. For this episode, we are thanking Professor Chris Jordan. I remember the day we published our first episode. He messaged the Computer Science Teaching Assistant team and posted us on his Instagram page, encouraging everyone to take a listen. He is such a caring and encouraging professor for us and many students at UNC. We appreciate you, Professor Jordan. Today's episode is about Kirsten Baker, CEO and co-founder of Genie. Genie won the Startup of the Year Award by Establish and US. It was co-founded by Kirsten Baker and her father, Richard Brechet. Its mobile platform connects users via video and audio calls with live, HIPAA-trained medical interpreters for mobile devices or computers. So before we start, let's take a quick photo screenshot in Zoom. So if we can just all smile for three seconds.
1: Oh well, I'll take my glasses off, here. <laughs> All right. Three Mike, two. you wanna fix your hair really quickly? <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you look great. Are you a mom? <laughs> Mrs. Oh <laughs> no, I just I can't
1: help, you know, trying to inject some.
0: <laughs> so I love it. I love it. All right. One, two, three. Great. Okay. Just to start it off with the first question. Thanks, Mike. So, Ms. Baker, in college, you studied political science and Russian. Why did you choose these two majors? Uh, well, you know, I
1: um, my parents were, were language professors. And so they had us traveling around the world at a, at a fairly young age. And, you know, I have to say that I was impressed very early on with how countries engaged with one another. Uh, how they collaborated, how they traded, how they uh, fought, how they got along, and what was always so central to that, you know, throughout history and even in my personal experiences, was seeing that the communication between people, um, you know, sort of on a day-to-day kind of very pedestrian level, all the way up to the you know leaders of our countries, was so central in how those countries engaged. So for me, it was just fascinating to kind of make a science out of that. And then Russian, you know, at the time was sort of a logical, you know, way to say, well, if you're going to study, you know, the science of countries engaging in communication, you have to speak, you know, foreign language. And at the time, uh, Russia was, you know, our greatest sort of country competitor, if you will. And, you know, we were having some of the most complex issues with Russia. My, My father was also a Russian linguist, so I had had some very early exposure and passion for the language from him.
0: And you found that other companies like First Americans Development Company, New City Construction, Constellar Group Inc, except, um, except for the New City Construction, they have an international and or multicultural focus. Why, why did you decide to use this niche?
1: Oh, I think probably very much you know, to, the, to the first question. I, I believe that for the most part, You know all companies all industries have either a multicultural or an international driver to the business or opportunity and you know ultimately if you want to grow what you do you have to look outside of you know this group of people or this geography so if i can do it here you know for a few then can i do it anywhere for many
0: and could you tell us a little bit about genie and the problem and its solution
1: Sure. So Jamie's a mobile platform that connects you to a live video or audio call uh, with a live interpreter for the qualified interpreter for on-demand language assistance on your smartphone or a tablet or a computer anytime, anywhere. And if you think about what's the problem that we're solving, you know, the problem is communication it is communication between two people who don't share the same language or the same culture and that's you know essentially what we're overcoming and for for us you know the the idea of having access to language is so central to our philosophy and our mission access to language we see you know languages is, is participation it is equity it's power, for us it's a, it's a fundamental human right. And when we look at kind of what's happening you know, in today's world, and, and, and I know we'll come back around to COVID, but just to make it very relevant today, um, you know, we have equity and equality issues in this country that are you know, kind of very long in the making they're historical. And there are certain things that we can't immediately do to affect those equities or inequalities, inequities or inequalities. But language is actually one of those barriers that we can affect that we can actually take care of or try to overcome now. So when we're looking at health inequity, health inequality right now in our system in U.S. healthcare, let alone healthcare around the world, being able to address language barriers is part of how we have a more equitable system. We want there to be access for all patients who have limited English proficiency skills or who may be deaf. We want everyone to have the same level of access and. It's it's not rocket science to think if I can't communicate with you about my symptoms, you certainly can't effectively diagnose me, let alone treat me. And that means I'm going to have, you know, mistreatments. I'm going to have less trust around my treatments. I'm going to adhere less to treatment and all of the kind of outcomes, you know, fall from there. We're literally having hundreds of thousands of conversations right now, today between patients and caregivers who don't understand each other. And, you know, on a, on a national level, this is a multibillion dollar now problem for in, in resulting in lawsuits and, and and but at worst in death. And so that's the problem that we're looking to overcome. And so Jeannie took a very kind of modern approach to this industry because interpreting in medical or in healthcare is not new. But we looked at kind of what's been happening in the last couple of decades and the way um, interpreting solutions have been kind of addressing this. And we felt like we could bring a kind of modern bent to this using technology and using a gig economy model. So for us, we put this on-demand access to HIPAA trained medical interpreters, you know, right in the palm of your hand. So wherever you are from the patient room to the clinic, to the uh, pop-up tent clinic, to the testing center now, to the line of cars in a parking lot where you're swabbing people for tests Jeannie can be with you everywhere there and in less than 30 seconds you press a button and an interpreter is literally you know kind of on the screen of your phone uh, or tablet or computer helping you to have a conversation
0: I really like the name Jeannie like is there a particular reason why you guys decided to call the company that
1: I hope so or we're really bad marketers Mike (laughs) Uh, yeah, so, you, you know, there, there there are a couple of reasons, actually, which, you know, I think tend to be the case with companies with kind of good names, I, at least I hope. For us, it was this idea of, you know, the genie in the bottle, like the, the, the genie in the phone, sort of like the genie in your bottle. This person on screen, you don't rub your phone to make them appear, you press a button. But when they're on your screen, they're there to kind of make your problems go away, they're problem solvers, they're not just interpreters. And so their whole kind of assisting you to communicate with somebody else is all about helping you to solve a problem. We're not verbal translators where you say five words and we just say five words and there's no attempt. To make sure that understanding is going on, um, it's it's genuinely kind of an act of problem solving. And so, like a genie who would come out and sort of grant you a wish, uh, they're there. All of our you know linguists who are now in almost 140 countries around the world are there to kind of have that problem. So this is the genie in your phone. Um, and then from a personal standpoint, you know my grandmother, who is a great inspiration to me, um, a, a global uh, you know globe trotter, if you will, herself who, who uh, you know, grew up speaking a few languages. And then as an older ad- adult decided she was going to learn all these languages so she could communicate with people. And her name, uh, well, her name is Jeannie, but my grandfather called her Jeannie.
0: That's heartwarming. I can tell that you have close relationship with your family. Going off from that, interesting fact about Jeannie is that you founded it with your father, Mr. Richard Bretchett. How did his influence impact you when growing up? that led to starting the company together
1: my my father is uh, you know quite a force. Not only was you know he he was in air force in the air force, and he was studying Russian at the time, working on radios, and went on to become you know a very sig- you know serious Russian linguist, um, taught at Harvard uh, University in their uh, Slavic Studies department, and then went on to found uh, thirteen or ish you know nonprofit organizations in second language acquisition research. I mean, really kind of a you know an international authority on second language acquisition mission. Uh, so yes, he had a lot of influence on me. My mother is also, you know, a linguist and a professor of language. And so I really it's in my DNA. Um, and when I was looking to kind of find a way that we could make language, you know, accessible to anyone, um, I couldn't think of a better partner to have in that mission.
0: So since you're so invested in languages, you speak Russian, um, English, and do you speak any other language perhaps? Uh, well, you know, my my, my Russian is
1: uh, rusty at best at this point, but I did study there. I did study in Russia uh, for a while. Uh, my first second language was actually French. My parents had me in an immersion elementary school uh, where it was actually, you know, verboten to speak English and you would get detention if you speak English. So I learned math in French. I learned science in French. I even learned English in French. Uh, so that was quite an experience, yeah.
0: Nice, and so previously, Genie offered you know live interpreters for other languages like Mandarin and Spanish. Does Genie still have that features, or is it just focused on sign languages?
1: No, no, Genie has over two hundred and fifty languages in its system mm mm-hmm. so we do offer uh, lots of different language pairs and I think one of the kind of critical parts to the way we think about ourselves is we don't think about ourselves as an American company or focused around English we do think about ourselves as you know kind of a global citizen a global uh, corporate responsible uh, entity so we have pairs that aren't just paired with English we have Mandarin Japanese Japanese Italian uh, what lots of different kind of mixtures now when you get into kind of um special areas like medical or like legal or, you know, education, IEP programs. Then we have kind of special languages which tend to pop up specifically for those and our interpreters have to be qualified very specifically for those areas. So, for instance, in in medical, you know, we offer languages like uh, Vietnamese and Korean, uh, but we'll also offer like Tigrinya and Marshallese and Kinyarwanda and Amharic. And because they're so central right now to what those language needs are in this country in healthcare, And so those linguists who speak those languages also have to be kind of HIPAA trained. They have to have medical interpreting experience on top of just their language proficiency. Um, But clearly, you know, American Sign Language, ASL, is is hugely important to us. Um, We are so proud of, of the work that we get to do with and for the deaf community.
0: So in the Yahoo interview, you described Genie as a gig service model like Lyft and Uber. And that's actually the first thing that I thought of when I heard of Genie. Is there a particular reason why this business model works for Genie and why you picked this model specifically? Well, you know, we were
1: I guess you could kind of say, you know, we were riding a wave um, there. There were all kinds of gig economy. There still are all kinds of gig economy models popping up. And we we love the gig model. if if, if implemented effectively uh, it's such a winning proposition for both sides of the market it's just very complex to build both sides of a market and to keep those sides of the market balanced but in our case you know having a gig economy a model allows us to abandon some of the kind of archaic um, models of our industry if you will our industry and and the incumbents in our industry have been built on Call centers connecting to operators, connecting to interpreters, and clunky equipment and long wait times and having to dial a number and then sign in with another number and then another code and a language code, and it went on and on and on until you know it—it it wasn't a very easy way of accessing an interpreter. Uh, it's not a very fast way of accessing an interpreter and in you know areas like healthcare it's essential that it be easy and fast it's also essential that it be affordable and when you have huge capital intensive models that you have to support naturally your prices are high and so now it's big hospital systems that can afford that but what about this kind of middle belly you know of the US healthcare system doctors offices and clinics that you know need something affordable but they they need it kind of you know at the press of a button So, we looked at the gig economy model as saying, you know, this allows us to kind of give instant access to people who are all over the world, who are, you know, aggressively qualified. So they're great for their job. um, But we don't have that heavy infrastructure then that we have to kind of make up for in really high prices. The other advantage is that, you know, now we kind of have a source of pride on both sides. We're super um, proud of the work that we're doing to make healthcare access equitable and available to all by overcoming language barriers. But on the other side, you know, again, we have linguists in 140 countries who uh, get to make money off of Genie. And un- unlike an Uber or Lyft model, they don't need a car or car insurance or gas in order to kind of earn money here. They need their phone and their phone plan. And most, you know, many people already have that, but now we get to, you know, be a source of income for them. And that's a huge source of pride for us.
0: So which language is the most popular? Is it English or sign languages?
1: Kind of depends on, you know, the industry that you know we're dealing with. As again, you know, healthcare and education in the US right now is very much where we're focused because of COVID so much this year. So, you know, last year, uh, travel and a lot of the kind of international uh, engagement pieces, people traveling for business or pleasure, um, you know, we were going to be working at the Tokyo Olympics, you know, a lot of that sort of paused because of COVID, even a lot of the work in immigration and refugee support um, slowed down a bit. Um, but now, you know, we're, we're kind of really dug in on kind of making sure that the U.S. healthcare system can roll out their COVID testing, now their COVID vaccine programs to sites where people can go and they can access on-demand language assistance right after they get their vaccine and get instructions, you know, from the caregiver with their interpreter on the line. 15 seconds, they're done, but now they're informed. Um, all of that is kind of where we're very focused right now, so in that case, You know, English is often, you know, the the pair in the language. But with English, you know, we really have a a huge number of languages that we're supporting on a regular basis. Uh, I mean, just tens and tens of languages in a week. Uh, Spanish uh, in healthcare is probably the dominant other language that we serve. But American Sign Language is is probably second uh, to Spanish right now in, in healthcare today and making sure consumers get the help that they need in, in, in medical appointments and and um and especially as related to kind of COVID testing and, and vaccines, But all of the kind of languages that are that are really kind of growing in this country are just I mean, it's so exciting to see all these East and West African languages, uh, indigenous languages coming out of, um, you know, Central America, Mexico. It's, it's just all very exciting for us.
0: Wow, it's I feel like it's a different thing to be a translator of English and a completely different thing to be a translator for indigenous languages, I'm sure. Yeah, that's pretty wonderful. Um, so kind of wrapping up as, as closing questions, we have some mix of both personal and more professional um, questions for you. So could you tell us one of your personal goals and one of your professional goals for this year?
1: Um, I can tell you that they don't separate. <laughs> as, as the CEO of an early stage company, they are one and the same. Uh, you just try to do it with as much kind of composure and balance, you know, as, as you can. But, um, you know, work is life and life is work. And, you know, as as Buddha said, love what you do, never work a day in your life. And that happens to be true. I am so fortunate that I wake up every day and not all days are, are easy, but I can't imagine anything else I'd rather be doing. Uh, so this year, it's it's really about kind of hitting a trajectory that we've been building to in the company and, you know, for, you know, our kind of collective company, heart and soul, being able to literally change healthcare in the U S this year, because people can get access to, um, information, whether it's about COVID or other things where they can get access to treatments or vaccines or whatever else they need, because we're there on site that changes us and you know we're looking to kind of really just expand as much of our presence among doctors offices free and charitable clinics, community uh, service organizations, schools, behavioral mental health centers, uh, hospitals this year in a very big way. Uh, but we're also looking to kind of start that momentum back into areas of border patrol, immigration, refugee support. It's really important to us to broaden out the work that we're doing in education to support special education and the IEP uh, conversations uh, that have to take place. So that that's really where we're focused this year.
0: I love that how every personal questions you ask we ask that you somehow weave genie and make it about genie. Like you say you're not really good at marketing, but I feel like you're really good. Like <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: uh, I think you know, you'd better be passionate about yeah, what you're doing. We love it. Cuz spent a whole lot of time in your day, week, month and year and life with it. Yes. You know, every day I have sort of a different quote and I will quote people from, you know, all the way back to maybe a Socrates or a Satra to modern day, you know, Drake or Wale. I mean, I've got you know, lots of respect for a lot of kind of poets in this world and philosophers, but I think, you know, we'll, we'll pull out, you know, one favorite, which is, you know, you're never wrong to do the right thing. Um, I, that's one that we kind of hold near and dear to our heart. Um, that's sort of a moral compass. Uh, and personal one. I think from a company standpoint, one other quote that we take very seriously is never mistake a clear vision for a short distance.
0: People say work-life balance is important. For a Baker, however, it seems that there is no balance because there is no distinction between work and life. Life is work. All of our lives are full of struggles, challenges, and problems. Ms. Baker acknowledges this, so she actually chose the problem that she wants to work on, a problem that is so complex and enriching for her that she doesn't mind trying to solve all her life. Echoing from the interview, she chose a job she loves, and therefore, She never works a day in her life. In a similar sense, I get a feeling that she doesn't believe in passion. Passion is how people conventionally define it. And I agree. There is no such thing as finding or thinking about passion. I can't daydream all day trying to find my passion. Whatever my energy directs me, whatever I spend the most time working and thinking about, is my passion. In that sense, Passion is something that I cultivate. To learn more about Miss Baker and other passioners we have interviewed in this podcast, and to see behind the scenes of how we create each of our episodes, follow our Instagram at passionerspodcast. Thanks, Miss Baker, for sharing your excitement about Jeannie, as well as your humor. This episode's research, interview question, edition, and production are by Janice King. The episode art is by Amar Rahik. Social media photos and descriptions are by Claire Hems. The interview was conducted by Mike Garcia and me. We use original music by Chiazo Jilla. Next episode, Mike and I interview Mr. Burgess, a longtime real estate multi He is a current managing director for Hotel Indigo in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Passioners podcast tells the stories of passioners and their journeys. My name is Janice King. Thanks for listening.